Well, hopefully we, I mean, we do have two people. Hopefully we will have more than that. <laughs> well, I thought about that. I was like, thank you so much for your support. I'm like, I don't know if they're going to support us I or know. not. <laughs> Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR Etc. And I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. This is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. Today, we're talking about fiction books that were inspired by true events. We'll share something that we've been loving lately, review our latest read, and have book talk about fiction books we've read that are inspired by true stories. We'll wrap things up with our shelf edition a book that we've added to our own TBR lists. We're a new podcast, so if you like what you hear, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review. It helps us find our perfect listening audience. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How are you? I am doing great. I have been Googling like crazy storm on this topic and my books and their backstories. (laughs) Same. It's so fun. I Google anyway, no matter what, even if it's, I know it's inspired by true events. If I have no idea, I'm like, wait, did this happen? Like, even if there's like a subtle mention, I'm like, well, now I have to know if this like small town in Iowa is a real town. I don't know why. Oh, you do. I do. I never like actively went and looked at the books that I finished, unless there's something really mm-hmm. glaring that makes me wonder. But now I think I'm going to have to check every book because I had no idea there were so many inspired by true stories. So many. And I feel like a lot of time they're in historical fiction. Like in my brain, I thought, oh, it's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of historical fiction, which is true. However, there are a lot of thrillers based on true events. There's a lot, I think, in general fiction, too. You're right. There is. Well, before we begin, we do want to say a quick thank you to those of you that have joined us over on Patreon. We are so excited about the bonus content that we have coming your way. And as a reminder, it will include some mini episodes, newsletters, and social connection with us, among other things. All of the details will be in our show notes. We just wanted to say a quick thank you here at the top of the show. Yes, thank you to everyone who is supporting us. And just know that we are working to just bring fun, extra content your way. Mm-hmm. Who knows what ideas we're going to I know. Come up I feel with. like I've been really inspired by it. I don't know that we, uh, we always knew that we wanted to bring bonus content and have a community of readers, but I think it's happening sooner than we probably expected. And I am very excited for this new adventure. Me too. All right. Do you want to tell me about your loving lately? Sure. I'll go first. And I kind of hinted to you that mine was <laughs> a slightly dorky loving lately this week. It is not skincare. I will tell you that. Okay. But this little gadget is called the Pocket Plus Magnetic Holder. Okay. Have you heard of no. like this? No. I'm with you though. I use this every day. And what it is, I use it for my cell phone, but they actually have a whole bunch of different varieties. And it is the size of my cell phone, basically. And it's a pocket that has a magnetic flap. And I put it on my shorts or pants when I head out to the park to walk so that I don't have to keep my cell phone in my back pocket. I got to see this. 
I will put a picture up. Yeah, you have to. I will send you a picture and I'll definitely put a picture up with the link. There's a website where you can order. Amazon no longer carries it, but there's plenty of other places to get it. And Pocket Plus has a website. But here's how I know that this is so important. I used to carry my phone in my back pocket forever, right? I walk every day pretty much. Well, it started, something was going bad. And I took it to Apple and it was basically kind of bent. Oh gosh. (laughs) They said like cell phones are very, I mean, it's a computer. I should know that. But you know, you put it in your pocket, you bend over and over time it It somewhat bent the phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I came across this in a store and it just clips right on the front. And then that way, if I need to take a call or I need to pull my phone out, like it's just right there in the front. And I got a multicolored, like paisley one. You can get whatever you want. And then checking the website, they have them for everything: water bottles, keys. You could put your wallet in it. Dang. So if you don't want to, if you're out going wherever and you don't want to carry a wallet or a purse mm-hmm. or a backpack, and you just want to, you could pop it in your little pocket. Plus, so I learned. I learned that I didn't know that they make them. I have um, never heard of this. For other than cell phones. Yeah. You'll, I can't wait to see the photo. And I was thinking, okay, where do I put my phone? I either put it in her stroller if I'm walking the baby. Okay. If I'm wearing, I have leggings that have like a pocket on the side, but that kind of does mm-hmm. the same thing I imagine as it would for your back pocket maybe. Well, that's probably better than I guess I'm not bending that. pocket. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes even just going out to do yard work and pulling weeds. Think about how much yeah. you're bending and squatting. And if you've got your phone in the back Yeah, it's going to get messed up. It's not good. So you just put your little pocket plus magnetic holder on Sweet. and go. I don't know. I showed it. To, I tried to get Darren to, to wear it. And he was like, um, not feeling and he it. he was like, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's the pocket plus. What you're loving lately this week? So mine is an updated foundation recommendation. And in episode eight, I talked about the daily tinted moisturizer that I use from Tarte. This is a new product for me. I just came across it not too long ago, but I it was good enough to share because I like it as much as the Tarte, but I like it for different reasons. This is from Wet n Wild and it's the Bare Focus Tinted Hydrator. It comes in a tube and it's made with hyaluronic acid and squalane. So I like those ingredients. It's similar to the Tarte one in that it's very moisturizing, but this one has a lot more coverage. The Tarte's very light and sheer. This one gives you a little bit of coverage. So I put it on, rub it in with my fingers. And what I like is that it doesn't look cakey, I think, because it's got that hyaluronic acid in it. It lasts pretty well, too. I just wore it when we went out over the weekend, and I had a mask on, and it stayed on under that, so you can't beat it. The best part probably is the price, because it's wet and wild. It's $5, so you can't beat it. I will say, it definitely smells like Play-Doh when you put it on, so I'm not crazy about that. I'm not totally sure if it's the best for my skin, but it's not done anything yet. If the scent doesn't bother you, And if you're in the market for a new foundation, I'd give it a try in five bucks. You know, you can't go wrong with the price. I ordered the color light and typically like I usually do, it's probably a bit too dark for me. If I repurchase, I would go one lighter. This was the Bare Focus Tinted Hydrator from Wet n Wild. Oh, cool. That is completely different. I have not heard of, I mean, I've heard of Wet n Wild, but I haven't heard anyone talk about Wet n Wild in years. Since like the 90s. No, they've come a long way. 
Their products are really good. They have a good setting spray. They have a good primer. I like their little eyeshadow quads or whatever. Okay. Yeah, they've come pretty far. Have you ever tried mixing some moisturizer with your foundation to lighten it up? If you Does that help? Yeah, it does. As far as coverage goes? Definitely. If I have one that's too heavy, I'll just use mm-hmm. a tiny bit of it mixed in with moisturizer and put that on. Okay, got it. Awesome. Thank you for that skincare. You betcha. All right. Do you want to share your latest read? Sure. I'll go first. My latest read was super cinematic and very over the top, but also totally entertaining. It was A Caller's Game by J.D. Barker. I know J.D. Barker because I read uh, the first book in the 4MK series called The Fourth Monkey, and I really liked it. Do you know me with series? I kind of lost it at that point. (laughs) But I saw this unscribed and grabbed it on a whim, and I'm very glad I did. You have a controversial satellite radio show host, Jordan Briggs, who's bold and shrewd, and she will do whatever she has to to claw her way up to the top of the broadcast world. She doesn't hold back. She doesn't spare feelings and has no trouble saying what's on her mind. Her rigorous pursuit of success has come at a price, though. As you could imagine, her marriage is in ruins and she doesn't speak to her mother, but she does have a very good relationship with her young daughter, Charlotte. One day, a caller named Bernie dials into the show, and it's just like any other day. He, he's kind of going back and forth with her and asks her, do you want to play a game? And she's a ball buster, decides to play along until she starts to realize that they are connected in some way, and she knows him, and he knows obviously who she is. He starts making demands, and I thought, okay, how, you know, are you in the building? How serious can this get? And we quickly find out that he legitimately has the ability to do very bad things to her and the people around her. And I'm talking on a grand scale. He's got people in places that can shut down parts of the city. While she's live on air with an audience of millions, she finds out that he's going to start killing people if she doesn't do what he wants. This was a wild ride. It was totally over the top and not believable, but it was one of those books that I didn't care. I said, you know what? Okay, I just bought into it. If you're looking for something with a propulsive plot, I do think this could be for you. It wasn't perfect. There was a cop character. I thought added pretty much nothing to the (laughs) narrative. It was just strange. He wasn't, like, I don't think he needed to be there. Aside from that, I really enjoyed the twists and the red herrings. It reminded me a little bit of the movie Speed in terms of tension and high stakes. I would recommend the audio for this one. And I was thinking that this could be a very good way to get yourself out of a reading slump. This is A Caller's Game by J.D. Barker. Oh, I'm glad you brought that. I think I tried The Fourth Monkey. Mm -hmm. I don't think I got very far in it before. I don't remember exactly why I put it down. So this is a standalone? Yep, this is a standalone. And it came out this year in 2021, I think in March. Actually, he had a really, really touching epilogue. No, I should say it's more of an author's note at the very end of the book. He started writing this in, I think he finished writing it in about March 2020. And so he was just basically saying he was with his daughter and their kid and they're at the post office and they're wearing masks and how weird everything is. He was talking about how he knew it was going to be published next year. And his great hope was that us readers in the future were looking at the pandemic from, you know, the rearview mirror. And I don't know, it was just very interesting to read somebody in the moment really kind of reflecting and what his fears were and all of that. So it has nothing to do with the story, but I thought it was a nice touch. Okay. I haven't seen very much about that. That's, I think, what initially grabbed me because I do like, 
kind of came, I, I knew the author and I was like, okay, maybe this is something that I can bring for more of an under the radar pick. So hopefully yeah, you guys one. like it. Thanks. Good one. What's your latest read? Mine is one that I didn't even realize was basically just published um, August 10th. I had no idea. Oh. It's Such a Good Wife by Serafina Nova Glass. Couldn't tell you. Have you heard of this I one? don't think I have. <laughs> okay. Well, I came across this because one of my trusted sources, Amy at Novel Gossip, she is, reads so many books mm-hmm. and she reviewed this. And as soon as I read her review, I was like, oh, I need this immediately. So I didn't read any other synopsis, anything else. Do not read the Goodreads blurb. Good tip. Good to know. Don't read any of it. It gives away a major spoiler. I could not even believe it. Okay. The story is Melanie Hale is a devoted mother to two children. She is helping to care for her ailing mother-in-law and lives in a wealthy Louisiana community. Above all, she's a loving partner to her wonderful husband, Colin. Or is she? Melanie, it seems, is keeping her true thoughts and feelings hidden from her family. So this is the basic setup. That's really all you need to know. We get to know Melanie, but what pulled me in immediately is there is a prologue and it was really good and it's a murder. So you don't know who it is. You don't know what transpired. You just know that someone has been murdered. And that is enough to pull me in. So Melanie decides with the encouragement of her husband to get back out and try to revive her stalled writing career, which I loved that she was a writer. I I feel like there's so many writers in books, especially thrillers. Mm -hmm. And every time I'm like, ooh, they're a writer. (laughs) Like, I I know. I'm not sick of it yet. So there's nothing. That's funny, though. There's something that I read and I'm like, oh, I, okay. I don't love this character, which I didn't love her. But the fact that she was a writer and she liked books and literature, she was a stay-at-home mom that just got so caught up in her family. And I could relate to that. So she decides to, to go to a writer's workshop. And at this writer's workshop, she meets a best-selling romance writer Luke, who writes steamy, steamy romance. They start a friendship that leads to a little bit of infatuation and maybe more. So things go from interesting to juicy to twisty. And the way the narrative structure was set up, Melanie is the narrator. So we get to hear from her ups and downs. And I really liked that the author was able to create this underlying tension between Melanie in her normal home life and then Melanie out and making very bad decisions one right after another. (laughs) I ended up messaging Amy and I said, I keep saying, oh my gosh, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But then please do it because I need to know how this is going to (laughs) happen or like what's going to happen. I guess that's really all you need to know. I did listen to this one. That was going to be my question. Mm -hmm. Yes. Exe Sands is the narrator. She was fantastic and was able to like create this character that, like I said, took one decision, one bad decision, and then it spiraled. So you have a tangled web 
of roller coaster relationships between husband and wife, parents and kids, and then a murder mystery on top of it. And that was probably my favorite part. But I will say the last third went from roller coaster ride straight to a ride on the crazy train. (laughs) But I didn't care. I didn't care at all. I thought it was excellent. I thought that she set up the suspects as far as the whodunit aspect brilliantly. I was entertained the whole way through. I I listened to it in one day. So put this on your one sit reads. And that was Such a Good Wife by Serafina Nova Glass. Sounds good. Is this the author's first book? Do you know? No, I did go uh, check that out. She definitely has one previous and it looked like she might have like two others that I I didn't delve that deeply. This one might be, I don't know, this would seem like a breakout book, but I haven't seen it around very much. I haven't. Yeah. When you said it, I was like, hmm, I'll have to look at the cover. I'm surprised because uh, it has all those aspects in it that like those of us who like juicy thrillers with a little bit of everything, this has it. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a book right in my wheelhouse. Like, you know, I love a psychological thriller. But yes. And this is a good, a good psychological thriller with a whole lot of just, I don't know, normal, quote unquote, normal people because she goes to book club and she like, they try to live their life, but then they're making these horrible decisions that take them down roads that, you would just never find yourself hopefully in. Right. If that's, hopefully. <laughs> if that makes sense, but it's vague yeah. enough. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, today we're talking about fiction books that have some true story element to them. I think this was a topic that I picked because I really like these kinds of books. For some reason, knowing that something similar happened in real life makes the story more compelling to me. And whenever I see this book is inspired by true events, I feel like it's one of my buzzwords. I think I think so, too. And you did pick this one. And then I wasn't sure I had that many books that I knew were inspired by true events. But when I see those words also, I always want to read it. I mean, unless it's like deep historical fiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of historical fiction is based on true events. And I have, haven't been in the mood for a lot of historical I fiction Me this either. year. I don't know the last time I read historical fiction. I feel like I want to pick one up just to like prove that I can. <laughs> I swear. I know. It's been, I mean, a year probably. I can't tell you the last one that I've read. But when we started talking about this and I started looking at it, these are some of my favorite types of books. Mm-hmm. So do you know why? Why do you find these so compelling? I think there's something to that old adage, the truth is stranger than fiction. I feel like Mm -hmm. some of these true stories you could never in a million years make up and have it as Mm -hmm. believable, have it as compelling. And I always like to learn then about the real story that happened or the real thing that took place that inspired the author. So with each of my three picks today, I'm also going to share just a little footnote or a little blurb about like, what actually happened and potentially we can share some of those links in the show notes. Right. I will do the same thing. And I was trying to think, uh, what is it about these? So of the books that I have found and the ones that I'm bringing today, what did I like about Mm -hmm. the fact that these are based on true stories? And I do think it's because 
you can start like you're reading about something that is very either page turning or sad or scary or whatever makes it compelling. And then you can be pulled out and and stop and think like, wait, this actually mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. And how crazy is that? Right. It kind of, for me, makes for, I don't know, a more entertaining, a more fun reading mm-hmm. experience. Mine is definitely more of a memorable reading experience because a couple of mine are really freaking sad. And it made me start to think about if an author borrows inspiration from real people, if the people are still alive, I wonder if they are under some expectation to get permission from those people. Like, I don't know. I guess it, there must be a certain amount that they have to change so that it's not the exact same story. And obviously we can see as the readers that it's fiction. But I did think about that, especially for one, my first book I'm going to share, because these people are still around. That's a great question. And I have a pick that obviously he didn't have to change any names. And it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And he's no longer alive, the author. Mm -hmm. So I would like to dig around and find out how he was able to do that. Probably because, I don't know, if it's public record, maybe you don't have to change the names. Yeah, because my first two are real. They have like real character. I get they're not character mm-hmm. people. No, I should say the second one has definitely real people that existed. The other two are inspired by. And I'm not bringing any sad ones. Okay. So I guess that's why I say fun and entertaining. <laughs> okay, good. To, yeah. <laughs> for mine. Well, I was just, so I can see your point. If you're reading about sad experiences, yeah. then it would not be fun or entertaining. One of mine is definitely fun and entertaining. The one that I was going to bring, and I think it's the one I had in mind while creating this episode, but I was like, after some of the episodes we've had lately that have just been so heavy, I'm like, I'm not going to bring it, but I'll quickly mention it. It's called See What I Have Done by Sarah Schmidt. I really enjoyed this book. It was very strange, very memorable. And it's about Lizzie Borden. So Lizzie Borden is an actual character in this novel. And she kind of imagines what took place when she allegedly murdered her family. And I thought, you know what? I can't tell a whole story about this. I'm going to bring maybe at least one lighter pick. (laughs) Okay. Well, do you want to jump into it? Yeah, let's do that. Um, Do you want to start? All right. Let's get this out of the way first. My first book is the darkest one that I'm going to share. And I will warn you right now, this is not for everybody. It's The Perfect Nanny by Layla Slamani. I've had this on my list for years because the premise is so compelling. And while I can't say that I love this book, I am glad I read it. Slamani drew inspiration from the true story of Yaselin Ortega. She was a nanny in New York City who murdered two of the children that were under her care. Slimani moved the setting from Manhattan to Paris, but used the crime as a jumping off point and tried to really imagine what could possibly have been going on in this caregiver's mind to make her kill the children that were in her charge. So this book opens up with the immediate aftermath of the murder. If you're a sensitive reader, don't pick this up. I'm talking the first sentence was gutting. And the story then takes a step back and we get to know the characters. You have the mother, Miriam. She is a French Moroccan former lawyer who is now a stay-at-home mom, and she is struggling with that. You have Paul, who is feeling the pressure of being the head of the household. And then their two children, Mila and Adam. Mila is a precocious five-year-old, and Adam is the baby. 
They are upper middle class and Miriam is desperate to feel like, quote, more than just a mother. So they make the decision to allow her to go back to work as a lawyer and they get a nanny so they can do that. They find Louise, who on the surface seems perfect. She gets along well with the children. She comes with solid references and she seems to love taking care of them all. She does more than just watch the children. She cleans around the house. She cooks dinner and otherwise makes everything picture perfect for them. This story has a very unique narration. It's an omniscient narrator. So you kind of get pulled back and we really get to see what's going on in the characters' minds. And she does a little bit of jumping around with time and with characters, but nothing that was too confusing. We find out that while appearing meticulous on the surface, Louise the nanny is economically and psychologically struggling. Her husband was abusive and left her with debts when he died and her daughter no longer speaks to her. This book was unsettling because you know what's going to happen, and you are watching as the tension slowly builds to the shocking ending. The father goes on and on about not wanting to go home and his desire to be free again, and it just broke my heart because you know what's coming. The mom doesn't want to speak her native language Arabic to the kids because she is wary of what she calls the immigrant solidarity. So I found myself disliking them, but then feeling guilty because you know how it ends. You don't see her committing the crime in the end. Like it's not super graphic, but you do see the setup and the aftermath. I didn't feel it was gratuitous. I was worried it would exploit the story too much, but I didn't get that. Though it's inspired by true crime, it's really a story about the relationship between nannies and their families, motherhood, class, and race. It's quiet, it's creepy, and unusual enough to make me glad to have read it. I do want to give a quick footnote of something that happened after the real-life crime. In 2018, New York passed Lulu and Leo's Law, which was the first law of its kind in the United States. And it makes it a crime to knowingly and materially misrepresent the qualifications of a person applying to work as a child caregiver. So the family of the real children were instrumental in this passing, so I thought it was worth making mention. The book was The Perfect Nanny by Leila Slimani. Wow. I've always wondered if I wanted to read that. I still don't know if I want to. (laughs) You're glad you read it. I'm glad I read it. It was short and it really, I like books about motherhood. It made me Mm -hmm. feel reflective. It freaked me out, obviously. I think especially if I had a nanny or somebody that took care of my kid would make me Mm -hmm. even more scared. But I thought it was a very interesting book. I would definitely read this author again. Did you say, or maybe you didn't, or maybe you, you shouldn't, that did you get, get any idea of the motivation? Did the author delve into she just the motivation? She just snapped. She just snapped. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, not really. You see that she's just kind of like losing her mind. Like she becomes obsessed with the family. She becomes obsessed with the mom having another baby. Like she takes the okay. kids out to dinner so that they can have sex. Okay, got it. All right, what do you got for us? Okay. Do you have something to bring I've, up? I've got bring us up a little bit. <laughs> I've got well, kind of. Okay. It was extremely entertaining. Okay. I'm going way back. This book was published in 1997. Wow. And I I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Uh but I have a question for you. Okay. This was based on what was known as the trial of the century. OJ Simpson? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I (laughs) I was like, well, Tina's younger. I don't know. 1997. (laughs) Yes. I remember they literally rolled the televisions into the classroom. Oh, yeah. Wait, that took place in 94. Yeah. Yeah. That was night. And actually the verdict. Oh. The verdict came down in 96 because... Mm -hmm. um, 
And I'll, let me tell you the book. Tell me the book. Yeah, tell me okay. everything. Go. <laughs> another, it's called Another City, Not My Own by Dominic Dunn. And I have been meaning to read Dominic Dunn forever. And I grabbed this on audio. It was five hours in length, but at 2.0, I got this done in like three hours. Oh my God. <laughs> I could not stop listening. He narrates his own book. It was excellent. So Dominic Dunn, he was a journalist for Vanity Fair. And this was not his first, like, rich people behaving badly sort of story. But he often covered stories like the Menendez brothers. He had he was finishing up their story when he got assigned to this trial. So he actually went to the trial, was there for the whole thing. And then he wrote this, but this book is fiction. Okay. And this is what I was talking about. This is so weird. So his main character in this book is named Gus Bailey. And apparently Gus is one of his recurring characters. And Gus is a journalist who writes for Vanity Fair. Interesting. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Okay. So Gus goes to cover this trial and basically writes this book And it's a behind the scenes about the movers and shakers of Los Angeles. It tells the story of the vortex of the O.J. Simpson trial, the lawyers, the judge, remember Judge Ito, just everything. So Gus is also not only a journalist, but he's the father of a murdered child. So is Dominic Dunn. I didn't know that. Oh, Lord. His daughter was murdered. So everything about Gus is also Dominic Dunn. So back in Los Angeles, Gus is caught up in what soon becomes a national obsession. Using real names and places, Dunn interweaves the story of the trial with the personal trials Gus endures as he faces his own mortality. So you have the story of Gus. He's at the courthouse. But he's also, he becomes a confidant, which obviously Dominic Dunn was a confidant of both the Goldman and the Simpson families. So he kind of sat often in between them. Right. And he was friends. He became friends with both of them. I'm telling you, it had so many like details that I don't ever remember reading. And I followed this. I was in graduate school during the trial. And I would, I remember coming home, getting like dinner or a snack and like putting on court TV. Yeah. Remember court TV. Yeah. This and was one, of, I think this is one of the first trials that kicked off like court TV, like the yes, 24 and, hour news cycle. And they kind of talk about this also as like the beginning of reality television. I can see that for sure. And there was no social media. So, you know, you had to wait for your People magazine or whatever to get more of like the juicy gossipy scoop. But in this book, he often goes to, he was invited to all the parties. So he name drops like crazy. He talks about Kirk Douglas, Heidi Fleiss, Elizabeth Taylor, Nancy Reagan, all of them he socialized with and all of them were following everybody he came in touch with was following this case but what was interesting was how many people would tell him about details and information that they had 
but they wouldn't go on the record and they hadn't told the police and he couldn't get them to come forward. And oh my, it, it was tantalizing. If you, yeah, if you at all followed this story or you, you know, just want to blast from the past and want a, a quick backlist, I highly recommend this. It is Another City, Not My Own by Dominic Dunn. It sounds so good. And it's one I was like trying to get while you were talking about it. I think I got it on maybe Libby. Oh, I couldn't remember the title. So I was like, ah, I'll do it later. Yeah. I'll, right. I'll let you know if you need it. Okay. What is your next one? Okay. That's funny that you talked about Dominic Dunn and how he was like ingratiated with some of the folks that were involved in the trial because my next book is called The Swans of Fifth Avenue by Melanie Benjamin. And it had a very similar kind of character at the center. This is straight up entertainment. It's historical fiction based on Truman Capote and his scandalous headline-making and heart-wrenching friendship with Babe Paley and New York Society's Swans of the 1950s. I think this might be the book that first got me really interested in rich people problems books, and I really, really loved it. The characters in this book are real people, and I could not stop myself from Googling the whole time I was reading. Babe Paley was a socialite known for her high-profile marriage to CBS founder William Paley and from her ranking on the International Best Dressed Hall of Fame. Truman Capote is probably best known for writing Breakfast at Tiffany's and In Cold Blood, but he was also known for being over-the-top, flamboyant, a gossip, and a social climber. And this book is set right before he made it really big as a novelist when he was still writing short stories and ingratiating himself with the who's who of New York society. Babe had a lot of friends. They called themselves the Swans. The Swans loved Truman because he flattered them and he knew what he was doing. He got close to them and ultimately he got them to share a bit of their true selves with him. I don't want to say too much because I think there are some reviews out there that give a little bit too much away, but I enjoyed watching the story unfold. This book was very readable. There's some fluff and there's some fun, but it also has a lot of depth to it. It's about the price you pay of being perfect and the lengths that some women went through to maintain their illusion of themselves that they wanted everybody else to see. I thought the story was bittersweet and I really liked it. Highly recommend it. And this was The Swans of Fifth Avenue by Melanie Benjamin. That's been on my TBR forever. And you just hooked me by saying bittersweet. I know. I actually (laughs) threw that in there because I was thinking about it and I'm like, it's not super frothy. It's not super bubblegum, but it Mm -hmm. really is kind of that bittersweet toward the end. So I think you will like it. I love bittersweet. I love bittersweet. That's a good one. Okay. Thanks for reminding me that I need to read that. Did you say you listened? No, this, I read this probably five years ago. So I definitely read it. All right. Well, I am moving to a fairly new release with my next pick and it's called The Lamplighters by Emma Stonix. I've never heard of this. Where do, I am stumping you. Where do you with find my, these books? I love that I'm stumping you with my books. I know picks this you're doing week. great. I'm tr- thank you. I have. Well, this is this crossed my path at Barnes and Noble. Actually, the cover is really kind of eerie looking, and I opened up, opened up the cover and I was like, "Oh, that sounds interesting." It says "inspired by true events," and I kind of filed it away. And then I remembered it because I take pictures when I'm at Barnes and Noble, Yeah, like random tangent. 
so I don't forget about books. And so anyway, I went back. I was able to download this on audio and I really, really enjoyed it for the most part. This was inspired by the true story about the mysterious disappearance of three lighthouse keepers from a remote tower miles from the Cornish coast in 1900 and about the wives who were left behind. Their fates are still unknown to this day. So it is a really weird mystery. The author in one of her interviews said she wanted to convey to the reader a sense of the romance and allure of lighthouses, but also their potential for darkness and secrecy. And she definitely did that. I'm just kind of weirdly fascinated by lighthouses. And so the story in this book is set in 1972 and 1992. So it alternates in time. And in 1972, a boat pulls up to the Maiden Rock Lighthouse with relief for the keepers. No one greets them, however. The entrance door is locked from the inside and rescuers find an empty tower. There's a table that has a meal that's not eaten. The weather log describes a storm that was raging around the tower, but the skies have been clear all week and all the clocks have stopped at 8.45 p.m. Now that's all true. That all actually is how it was found. So then the story goes 20 years later and there is a novelist who wants to write a book about the disappearance. So he goes back and interviews the wives who were left behind. And so you get each of the wives' perspectives, and then you'll go back in time and you'll get leading up to what may have happened to the men. You get each of the men's perspectives. And it was really interesting because both had such completely different takes on the story because the wives are just guessing. But there was a whole lot going on between the wives and their husbands that came out in the wives' stories. And this was British narration, which I loved. The first few chapters were pretty confusing. (laughs) I had to like rewind or go back. And so this is one that you definitely have to pay attention to. And I really found myself mainly invested in the wives' stories, which I would have thought Going in, I might have liked the actual like lighthouse scenes better, but I would really liked the scenes with the wives. There are secrets revealed, which were unexpected, and I enjoyed. I loved the lighthouse setting. Um, I lo- I thought that the lighthouse became a character itself, and this is really a what might have happened story, which I thought the author weaved really well. However, it didn't blow me away, but I do think it's kind of a perfect read for a rainy day and anyone who's in the mood for a light mystery without the gore of dead bodies or, you know, murder or anything. I think this would be really good for that type of mystery mood. And that was The Lamplighters by Emma Stonix. That's a great recommendation. Yeah, I like, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was something different. That's what it, I like finding books that aren't so heavy that are still in the thriller, mystery, whatever, whodunit type genre. Yep. Yep. And I kept thinking, and then I, you know, you can go down the Google rabbit hole, which I did and just really find, you know, they just vanished without a trace. No one, no one knows anything and will ever know. So where is this set? Um, Off the coast of Scotland. 
Got it. Yeah, okay. that's where it happened. Cool. Okay, what is your next pick? My final pick is Dreamland Burning by Jennifer Latham. And this is YA historical fiction. And it sheds light on a time in history that is rarely talked about, to be honest. It's the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. Oh, okay. So in this story... You have two perspectives. It's Rowan Chase. She is a biracial black teen who becomes obsessed with finding the true identity of a skeleton that she finds on her family's property. And Will Tillman, a young boy who's living in Tulsa in 1921 during a time when the town was segregated by Jim Crow laws. Roe is desperate to find out anything she can about the body. And since the police don't seem to care that much about figuring out who it was or how they got under the floorboards of this historic home. She takes the wallet from the crime scene. And through this, she uncovers a brutal century-old murder that leads her through a summer of painful discoveries about the past, the present, and herself. And then it flashes forward to Will, who is also 17, And again, he's in 1921. He gets in trouble and he gets sent to work in the family's music store for the summer. And it's kind of on the outskirts of town, right before you would enter the Black neighborhood. And Will is biracial but white passing. And his family's not opposed to serving Black customers, but they know if they got found out that they were doing that, it could get them into trouble. I really liked examining the issues of race through the eyes of today's teens, The author of this story is white, but it did feel like she put a lot of research and care into creating authentic characters. Both characters struggled with their identities, and it was interesting to see present-day Roe question her assumption that we're in a post-racial society. So she kind of comes from a little bit of money and, and is starting to like really unpack some of her feelings about that. I enjoyed the exploration of race relations through these differing lenses, and it made me think about how even though this was 100 years ago, we're still dealing with a lot of the same today. I would actually love to see this book on some school reading lists. I thought the mystery was super compelling. The characters were memorable. And what it did, though, was really bring this event to the forefront. And I think even when I read it in 2017, it was not that well-known. I think it's a little bit more well-known now as it should be. So during the Tulsa Race Massacre, it occurred over 18 hours from May 31st to June 1st, 1921. A white mob attacked residents, homes, and businesses in the predominantly Black Greenwood neighborhood of Tulsa, Oklahoma. This area was known as Black Wall Street and was largely destroyed. The event remains one of the worst incidents of racial violence in U.S. history and for a period remained one of the least known. News reports were largely hidden and squelched, despite the fact that hundreds of people were killed. So I really recommend this book. It is Dreamland Burning by Jennifer Latham. Oh, I have never heard of that. The book or the race massacre? I haven't heard of the book. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, Yeah. that's really interesting. It was really good. And it was YA, but I didn't care. I know sometimes I can struggle if there's, if it's too like, teen or young, but I think because it was historical fiction mixed with a little bit of a Mm -hmm. mystery, like it totally sucked me right in. Those work good for me too, as far as YA goes. Okay. My last one is Beyond the Point by Claire Gibson. Came out in April of 2019. And this one is based on the author's childhood. And she grew up at West Point. 
And her father was a professor and she had very fond memories of growing up there, but one and wanted to write a story that was set there, but didn't have any inspiration until out of the blue, a friend called and asked if she'd be interested in listening to her stories from West Point and beyond. That friend put her in touch with other women who went to West Point, graduated from West Point, and one interview interview turned into six. And that turned into this book. So I will definitely link to where Claire Gibson has shown photos of some of the women and kind of given little snippets about it. I wish I would have known that when I first picked this up. But what it's about is three women who are brought together in the story of friendship, heartbreak, and resilience set at West Point Military Academy. So they go there thinking that they know what to expect from their training. However, once very shortly after they arrive, it's Danny, Hannah, and Avery. And as I said, shortly after they arrive, 9-11 happens. And that changes the course of their next four years and what follows. So this is a story about each of the ladies, their friendship, and what happens after. So Danny is athletic. She has a brilliant mind. She navigates West Point's predominantly male environment with wit and confidence, breaking stereotypes, and kind of the all-around happy-go-lucky, everybody-likes-her girl. Hannah, whose grandfather was an army general, offers a stark warning about the dangers that lie ahead, but she moves forward anyway. She's very focused on her religion and she meets her soulmate at West Point and thinking that their future looks bright. And then you have Avery and she is basically a wild child, more of a partier and also has demons. So it doesn't sound that exciting to talk about this storyline, but (laughs) if you like female friendship and you like Uh this backdrop, what I really liked was the fact that I knew nothing about West Point and let alone women and what they go through just to graduate and then what happens after. So there is, and then you have the the backdrop of 9-11 and Afghanistan and it becomes very dramatic as far as their stories and what life throws at them. I loved how multi-layered and flawed each woman was. And it's not often that I read stories like this where I really, really like each and every woman. And I did. I loved all of them. I thought the character development was fantastic. And I have been waiting impatiently for Claire Gibson to write another book. And I hope she does soon. Um, That was Beyond the Point by Claire Gibson. You've sold me, but you know that I like character driven. And one of my wishes always, I, I always am looking for stories about women that take place throughout, you know, a large chunk of their life and about female friendship. Mm -hmm. I feel like we get that a lot with men and male stories and and that sort of thing. But you kind of sold me on this one. And I had a friend that went to West Point and I graduated high school right about like in 2002. So he was going there kind of in this exact same time. So I'm super familiar with, I remember like we wrote letters and stuff to him when he went to school. Like it's pretty. Well, I think that you would, I really think that you would love this one. And like, even to hear myself talk about it, it doesn't sound like one that I 
would have, you know, like even picked up. And I think it was Bookstagram that, yeah, Bookstagram made me do made it. Do it. I really, really <laughs> liked it. It's, it's, it's a good one. All right. We are ready for shelf editions. All right. Sounds good. I'm very excited about my shelf edition. And I feel so special right now because I emailed the publisher about this one this morning and he emailed me back a PDF. <gasps> wow. And I just feel you? You very are special. cool. So I know. So let me tell you about the book. It is The Violin Conspiracy by Brandon Slocum. This comes out in February 2022. It's literary suspense, and it's about a Black classical musician whose family heirloom violin is stolen on the eve of the most prestigious classical music competition in the world. So you have Ray McMillan. He loves playing violin more than anything, and nothing will stop him from pursuing his dream of becoming a professional musician. Not his mother, who thinks he should get a real job. Not the fact that he can't afford a high-caliber violin and not the racism that's inherent in the classical music world. And then when he makes the startling discovery that his great-grandfather's fiddle is actually a priceless Stradivarius, his star begins to rise in the music world. But then on the eve of, again, what's known as the Olympics for classical music, his heirloom is stolen. Ray is determined to get his instrument back, but now his family and the descendants of the man who once enslaved Ray's great-grandfather, are each claiming that the violin belongs to them. So he's got the odds stacked against him and the pressure is mounting. It's a race against the clock to get it back. I just thought this sounded so compelling. The author is a music educator himself. So I just felt like this is he's going to really bring an authentic voice to this. It is also the first book from a new hardcover line from Anchor Books. And that's where I got the PDF from. They are known for paperbacks, but they're coming out with anchor hardcovers. And what I loved is that they said their goal is to introduce new voices in commercial fiction and psychological suspense. They want to introduce readers to characters they'll fall in love with and stories they need to talk about and want to keep you up at night, which Uh, sounds literally like my exact (laughs) catnip. So I'm very excited to read this and I will report back. It's The Violin Conspiracy by Brandon Slocum. Oh, I love the sound of that. I don't know. I I have heard of that, but I have no idea where. I saw Jordy posted the, he had a, got it in book mail. Okay. It wasn't there, but yeah, that sounds good. And I am all for some new psychological suspense possibilities. Okay, good. Well, my shelf edition is As the Wicked Watch by Tamron Hall. Yeah, I have this book. You do? I do. Jealous. Okay. It comes out October 26th and it's the first in a new series, which I'm all for. So crime reporter Jordan Manning leaves her hometown in Texas to take a job at a television station in Chicago. This is right up your alley. I think the whole thing's set in Chicago. So she's that probably is why they sent it. Probably. Well, like, oh, here you it's go. It's perfect. So she's one step closer to her dream, a coveted anchor chair at a national network. She is smart, aggressive, and with star power, and is often the only woman of color in the newsroom. Her signature, arriving first on the scene in impractical designer stilettos. I love that detail. Um, (laughs) She's armed with a master's degree in forensic science and impeccable instincts. Jordan has thus far been able to balance her dueling motivations, breaking every big story and giving voice to the voiceless. 
I love that setup for, I already want to know yeah, about her. It sounds so good. Already. So she comes across a case and she's able to navigate a crime scene as well as she can a newsroom, often noticing what others tend to miss. Again and again, she's called to cover the murders of black females, many of them sexually assaulted, most brutalized, and all of them quickly forgotten. All until Macy James, the story that Jordan just can't shake. A 15-year-old girl whose body was found in an abandoned lot, Macy has come to represent for Jordan all of the frustration that her job, with its required distance, often forces her to repress. Putting the rest of her workload and her fraying personal life aside, Jordan does everything she can to give the story the coverage it desperately requires and that a missing Black child would so rarely get. Three young boys are eventually charged with Macy's murder, but Jordan remains unconvinced. She feels there is a serial killer on the loose. And ah, now I, I mean... This has everything I love and it leaves me wanting to know already. And now you have the book and I need a copy. I know. I was going to say, I can read it quick and then send that it away. That would be great. That was As the Wicked Watch by Tamron Hall. Do you know Tamron Hall? I didn't, but I Googled, uh-huh. I, when I, yeah. I pulled this up and then went to kind of see who the author was, uh, yeah, she's a talk show host. Yeah. And she worked in Chicago. She was like a reporter in Chicago um, on TV for years. So that's why I was like, I know her from television. (laughs) Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I feel like this is going to be really good. Our books kind of mirror each other, right? Our shelf editions a little bit like kind of the authors are set in that world and now they're writing a fictionalized account. So who knew? I mean, we like to bring our bookish serendipity. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. You can now also support us on Patreon. All of this helps us get our podcast out to new listeners and grows our audience. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Do you know that when I, like, do your part of the intro, I always do it like this. Welcome to Book Talk, etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR, etc., and I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. <laughs> Why do you do that? Uh, I'm Renee from It's Booked. I just made it up once and it amuses me every time. Oh, that's funny. Uh...